Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. It is Sunday, February 21st, 2021. It's my dad's birthday. Happy birthday to him. I just got back from Orlando. I've been flying all day, uh, you know, six or seven hours of flying already today. But I wanted to get to this podcast right away and uh, actually have the highlights of the race on the television as I sit here recording. Pretty crazy action. Crashes all over the place. We already lost some guys to uh, to injury in the 250 class, which we'll get to, and the 450 class, unfortunately. But before we get into any of that, I want to thank the sponsors, Pirelli Tires, Plum Creek Funding, Guts Racing, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Blenzol Oils, Risk Racing, Premier Vapor Blasting, 612 Suspension, Grant Stone Boots, Pro Glow Wash, and fly racing and stay tuned later. I will have some promo codes to share with you. Uh, want to make sure that as you are supporting the industry seating sponsors that you can save some money along the way. I will also be giving away a set of Pirelli tires on the show. Thank you to everybody for emailing in. I had a ton of questions, just by far the best and the most amount of feedback that I've had on one of these giveaways. And we're going to keep them going. We will have other brands involved as well. I'll give away some fly racing stuff. I'm sure I can uh, convince some of our other sponsors to pitch in along the way and uh, get get active and get involved. Uh, the whole idea behind being a part of these podcast shows, whether it's mine or Steve Mathis or Weege's or whoever, is to get better involvement and, and for you, the customer, to get more knowledge and get more familiar with these moto companies. So when it is time to make a buying decision or, you know, in the case of Fast Foundry or Plum Creek Funding, when you're going to make some sort of financial transaction or improve your business moving forward, you may choose one of these companies. And, and I ask that you do. They, that's the whole reason that we're all involved in this thing is to connect like-minded people. So thank you to all of them. Let's jump into some action here. First race of the 250 West Series. And it's so weird. I, I have a hard time keeping it straight because it's so awkward starting the West Series in February in Orlando, right? That just makes no sense. It's counterintuitive on every front. And I really had high hopes for this series. I thought we might get a true series, a really competitive series where we didn't know who was going to win and and there was depth all the way through and you could have multiple winners. And then the gate drops in. Yeah, we uh, it's pretty much over. And I hate to say that and I'm probably wrong. And I, I, I know that's a really premature comment, but it feels that way, right? It just feels like now with both Martin brothers gone, Jordan Smith gone, it just feels like Justin Cooper's going to run away with this thing. I just can't see Cameron McAdoo being consistent enough or fast enough to beat Cooper. And 
I don't mean that as a slight. I think Cameron McAdoo is one of the nicest kids in the class. It, it really has nothing to do with that. It's just Justin Cooper, it just kind of feels like his year now. And, and he has every every ounce of the, the equation dialed. His starts have always been amazing. He clearly was fast. He was faster than J-Mart all day, which I didn't really expect at all. But great ride from Justin Cooper, and it's his to lose. I'm sure he knows that. You know, I think really the only competitor that could make this interesting is Garrett Marchbanks. And we'll see, you know, like if Cooper has a bad race or DNFs or something, maybe some of these guys will be healthy enough to reenter the series and start chipping away. But it certainly doesn't feel that way on Sunday after the first round. It really just feels like that Justin Cooper is going to run away with this thing and make this look easy. I hope for the sake of competition and this and the sake of entertainment that that's not the case, but it, it certainly feels that way. Now, as for where the Martin brothers stand, I think we'll get a Mart back, you know, a concussion. He'll have to pass the concussion protocol and, and you know, that, that weekend off is a godsend. As far as that goes, I fully expect him to be back for Daytona. I'm sure J Mart is probably getting MRIs done today. And, and maybe there's something broken that we don't know about. We don't really have a lot of information on J Mart just yet, but I'm going to assume that there's going to be some diagnostics run on a whole J Mart shoulder there to see where he stands, but it didn't seem good. Right. And I always go off the eye test in these cases as a racer, you always know what your body's telling you immediately after a crash. And for J Mart, he wanted nothing to do with getting back on his motorcycle. He was not looking for his motorcycle. He wasn't trying to reenter the race. He was making a beeline for the tunnel and over to the Alpine stars medical rig. And that is always what I really judge first, because as a racer, I've been there many times. If I'm not really hurt, the first thing I'm thinking about is where, where's my bike? I got to get back in the race, right? And especially for someone who's thinking championship, that's going to be his first thought. But if he's truly hurt, which I believe he is, you don't even think that your body's just like, no, we're hurt. like, you're, you're hurt. Your thought process immediately changes. And it's this intuitive, instinctive difference. And I just saw that bearing out in J Mart's body you know, his body language, like he was not even thinking about race. He was thinking about, I'm injured. I need to find a doctor. So that's a bummer. You know, J Mart was my champion championship pick. I'm sure he was for many, but doesn't look like it's meant to be. Hopefully this won't impede his Lucas oil promoter cross aspirations, but you know, time will tell. I'm sure we'll get some information this week or next and uh, see where it all, see where it all stands. Sounds like Jordan Smith, uh, I don't know for sure, but I, I heard broken collarbone. I'm not for sure on that, but it certainly looked that way. And I didn't really think Jordan would be consistent enough to be your champion. We're already going down that path one race in. And uh, man, for a guy who just has not been able to stay healthy whatsoever, just right down the same road for Jordan. And this is a bummer. I, I don't know what the future holds for Jordan, but at some point guys are going to get frustrated with his lack of avail- availability. As someone has said, the the number one ability to have is availability. And then Jordan just hadn't been able to provide that. Speed is not the issue. He was crazy fast in practice, but even watching him in, in qualifying practice, he was really loose. I mean, taking big chances, and I wondered about the sustainability of it all when we got into a race environment, especially over the course of, you know, eight or nine rounds. And unfortunately, you know, he already took himself out. And it was such a weird crash. He just kind of got whiskey throttle exiting the whoops, but that's what happens when you're riding on the edge like that. You know, he, he has always been a rider that 
is willing to take big chances and that stuff bites you if you're not careful. And I don't, I don't ever associate Jordan with being careful. And you just, you see the results of that. You see wins, right? He's made a lot of money in the sport and had a lot of success. He probably should have been your 2017, uh, East coast champ, but you know, a big crash in the sand at Vegas when he, I mean, he, he kind of was already handed to him, right? Uh, Osborne had gone down. Savachi was way back and it was the same old story. So unfortunate for Jordan Smith, really nice guy, but it's just not going to be his year either. So that's it for the two fifties. As much as I hate to say that for the entertainment factor, I, I feel like it's already over. Now let's get into uh, a couple of the four fifties for this, uh, this power ranking stat that we have. And it gives me just more talking points. You know, the, I don't want the, the whole podcast to be about the power rankings, but they really just provide uh, talking points and kind of keep me on track. The one big uh, missing rider that you'll notice is Adam Cincerillo. Sounds like he has a, uh, a broken collarbone. Crashed in the whoops, and it's literally on my TV screen as I'm saying this, which is pretty wild. That was a weird coincidence. But he just kind of rushed it going into the whoops. He tried to triple in, and he did not. He just didn't exert the patience you have to use when when tripling into the whoops. And, and trust me, I was, unfortunately, uh, a master of this because I had to be. I just couldn't blitz the whoops well enough to do it consistently at every race in a track like this or Anaheim's or San Diego's where the dirt broke down and the whoops got super cupped out. I had to rely on my jumping ability. And I, I just, one thing you always have to do is, is be patient enough to get in between each whoop when you're jumping them. And, and Adam did not, he kind of blitzed into the first one and that kicked him over the bars and he came short at the same time. All of those things will, will bite you damn near every time. Now, one thing I should mention on that, before I get too far away, because Webb was doing a great job of kind of bouncing through the first one and tripling. That's not something I did really very often, but again, I'm not a Supercross champion uh, in this series anyway. So uh, I could maybe see why Adam was trying that because Webb was executing it so well. But as a general rule, that's that's going to eventually catch up with you trying to blitz through and then uh, triple into the whoops like uh, Webb was doing. So at number 10, I have Dylan Ferrandis. And you're going to probably say, someone is, how could you have him there? He crashed out of round seven. He gets 11th at round eight. But I'm really more going off of what I see on the racetrack. Something happened, I think, with his shifter or front end. I couldn't really tell what was going on. But something was going on with his bike at the beginning because he was up there. And then he had to go into the mechanics area and fix something. And then after that, he was riding like a man possessed. I mean, he was really good the rest of that 450 main event to the point where Webb wasn't even catching him. And if you go look at the lap times, they were about even the whole way through the rest of the race. Both of them were in traffic, but I really like what I'm seeing from Ferrandis. I think his riding is going to get much better from here. Uh, if you watch time qualifying, he was right at the top several times. And I think that's what he was most frustrated about after was he knows he knew he had a, an opportunity for the podium. And I, and I think that's where he would have ended up had uh, he not had the bike issue. His riding was just really, really solid. So I'm putting in him 10th. I think you're going to see him battling for top fives and podiums very soon. It will be a little bit start dependent because the class is super deep and it's hard to move up near the top three, of course, with a bad start. But I just love everything about the way Ferrandis looks on the motorcycle right now. So he's at number 10, even though the results don't necessarily reflect that. But that's okay. We can use the eye test at times. At number nine, 
I've Aaron Plessinger and not a great race for Plessinger at all, but he's been pretty consistent lately. He's been bouncing up into that top 10 and he's staying healthy and, and staying relevant. And that's something he hasn't been able to do in the past. This was not any sort of breakout ride for him in any way, shape or form at round eight, but I'm more going off of the consistency he's shown lately. He was getting better towards the end of the indie rounds than a couple of okay Orlando rounds. Orlando one was actually really good. He was super solid. Orlando two, I didn't watch him as closely, so I don't know if he had some issues, but his results just didn't jump off the page and he wasn't fighting towards that top five the way he was at Orlando one, because there was a time where that was like, man, Plessinger's he's, he's going to the front here, like not podium, but he was moving forward. Once you get into that top seven or eight, if you're still moving forward, that's pretty impressive stuff in this class. So I have Plessinger at nine and you know, this is a, this is all, this is fluid, right? This can be uh, up and down. Like Cincerello is gone because of rough results lately. And Plessinger, you know, hasn't really been around lately. And, And these aren't always indicative of their point standings. They can be like Ferrandez, they two outside of the top 10 finishes in a row, but I still have them in 10th. At number eight, I have Mookie, and I thought Mookie was going to get in the mix with uh, with Tomac and these guys for a while. Anderson was able to pull away from him, which was, uh, they had a pretty good battle going there, but Anderson, he, he was really impressive, uh, but Mookie's still solid, and that's kind of been the theme for Mookie the last two years, going back to his, his uh, 2020 season with Bullfrog Spas, Smart Top, Moto Concepts Honda, and now that he's on Monster Star Yamaha 450, He's just that solid guy still. Not the crazy balls, you know, all out speed, probably going to crash Mookie, but the still really fast, still really good, giving great value to his sponsors, getting good results throughout the entire season, Mookie. And I've talked about that on this show many, many times. I don't know that this was a concerted effort, but it feels like it has to be because he's not crashing like he used to. He's not having these just monumental get-offs that ruin a season like he used to. And that's that has to be from him just backing it down a little bit. So I have Mookie at eight, and I kind of think that's where he is right now. He's like an eighth-place guy. Number seven, I have Zach Osborne. Not a crazy good day for Zach. I think he's battling a little – some injuries, and I don't, I don't want to give away too much, but I think he's a little dinged up. Nothing serious, but just sore, and I think it's affecting his ability to ride at his best. And, you know, we saw him get a podium in Orlando one. He was not able to back that up at Orlando two. He just really didn't look good all day either. Uh, just kind of had an off day, had an off main event, but he's still hanging around. And I do think he's a podium threat, you know, any, any, really any time, right? If he gets a good start and the track is working for him, he can be on the podium at any given weekend. And I don't know that he's going to get a win this year. I know that's his goal, right? He's just all, he's thinking about win every single weekend, but I don't know that that's in the cards for him. Of course, that's not for me to decide, but with that, when I look at the pace of, uh, Webb and Roxon, I don't even want to say Tomac anymore, but it's, it might be challenging for him to find a win unless it's the right scenario, right? Where it's the Salt Lake situation where there's people are thinking title, you get some help from crashes and mechanical difficulties. Like there, there's always that scenario. So you can't ever rule it out, but, uh, he, he might just need a little bit of help right now to get a win at number six. I have Jason Anderson and I'm, I'm really liking what I see from Jason Anderson. He might be the rider where I see the most forward improvement. You could say Webb too, cause Webb's first few rounds were horrific, 
but the story's already been about Webb for a while. He's won three races in a row. So how much can you really need to talk about Webb at the moment as far as getting better? But Anderson's really been coming on and it's kind of been under the radar because his results haven't been wildly impressive. But if you're paying attention to the riding, the, the actual technique and the speed and the lap times and all the things that sometimes go unnoticed, Anderson's right there. You saw him take out Muscan for the heat race win. Eh, I'm not a huge fan of that move, but whatever. I get it. A lot of times there's five or 10 grand up for grabs with those heat race wins. So if you just want to say, yeah, I wanted, I wanted the money. Okay. That's fine. In the end, it didn't really hurt Marv. Marv still beat him in the main event. Marv still got second in the heat race, whatever. No, no harm, no foul, I guess, but I could do without the, the contact in the heat races. But other than that, what an incredibly impressive ride for, uh, for Jason Anderson. I just like the way he's coming around. His finger seems to be much better. I don't know if he's still in pain. I don't know if he's got any mobility issues with it, but it certainly is not reflected in his riding to this point. And, uh, yeah, it's great. We need all the competition we, we can get because we just lost Adam Cincerillo for, uh, who knows how long, maybe the entire supercross season or the, or the remainder of it. We'll have to wait and see on that. Number five, Marvin, Moose scan and Marvin got a podium and he talked for several hours on the podium. Just kidding. Uh, but Marvin is, he likes to talk, man. And it's, it makes it for some pretty, pretty funny social media interaction. And I don't really think Marvin cares. I think he knows that he carries on too long, but he does, he knows it's very difficult to get on the podium and he's going to speak his mind when he gets there and everybody else is just going to have to deal with it. So I don't always love it. I, I, I kind of feel for some of the other riders because we've literally had other riders miss their opportunity for an interview because Marvin won't shut the hell up. So yeah, it is. I mean, what are you going to do? I, I think that NBC has to do something about that. They're the only ones that can control that. They have to have a talk with Marv if there is a problem and say, Hey Marv, like either you stop this or we're going to cut you off. And that's, that's what I would do with zero training in the television industry. I'm not a producer, nor will I ever be, nor do, should I be making a comment like that. But that's, I think that's what I would do is say, Hey, you have two choices, reel this in a little bit, or we're just going to cut you off and move on, uh, which is going to be super awkward for him and super awkward for everybody. But what's your alternative? If he won't cut his interviews a little shorter, you got to do something about it. You can't just screw over the other guys. That's not fair. Uh, but anyway, good ride for Marv and he's certainly getting better and better. Uh, I like really what I saw from him all day. And I think the biggest factor there was he was able to jump the whoops. And that seems to be, you know, the, the most critical aspect of any race for Marv, as far as his chances of winning. Now you want to say, can he be top five or whatever on blitz track, you know, tracks where you have to blitz. Sure. I, I think that's possible. But if you want Marvin to be at his best, where he's in the, the consideration for a win, the whoops have to be set up for him to, they have to be conducive for him because he's just not the best, best blitzer out there. He's not even in the top 10 of blitzers in that class. Uh, so yeah, it's just one of those situations where he has a weakness and when the track favors him, you don't even know that he has a weakness, but when the, when the whoops are difficult and you have to blitz him, that weakness pops up damn near every time. So good ride for Marv. It's not an, I don't want to seem like a negative, I more mean it in the way that this track really worked for his skill set, and you saw that kind of play out all day. You saw it in the results, you saw it in qualifying, you saw it in the heat race, uh, just over and over. When the track suits Marv, he's a threat and he's a force to contend with. 
few of the promo codes for this week. Uh, I want to talk about Works Connection. You can use the promo code JT21. And, and thank you to everybody who has been using this. You've been tagging me on social media and sending me DMs. That's awesome. I've been hearing it from some of the companies. Please continue to do so. Risk Racing, there is a promo code JT dollar sign when you check out, whether you're getting the walk and load or the ripper roll-off system or whatever you, you know, the uh, fork protectors, whatever you choose to pick up from Risk Racing, use that promo code JT dollar sign. Premier Vapor Blasting, you mentioned the podcast and you will get a 25% discount. 612 Suspension, they are a Race Tech affiliate, of course. You mentioned the podcast and you will get a 20% discount off of parts and labor, which is a hell of a deal. And Proglow Wash, the promo code is MOTO15 at checkout. Of course, on Proglow Wash, just for those of you who are still getting familiar, it is a power sports wash specifically engineered for all the challenges that power sports bring. Road grime, you know, hard to wash off mud. If you Some of those tracks you go to, and I, I growing up in Florida, went to one that just had this oily dirt. It's like impossible to get off your bike. That's what Proglow Wash was specifically designed for. So buy something that is built for your needs. Now, of course, we want to mention Pirelli tires. Going to give away a set of Pirelli tires at the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. Also want to mention Pump Creek funding. Mortgage rates are crazy low. Haven't started moving up yet, and this ain't, this isn't going to last forever. If you, if you pay attention to the finance world as much as I have been lately, you'll notice that 10-year treasury and the 30-year treasury are slowly creeping up. When that starts to move, the interest rates are going to follow at some point, Jerome Powell is going to look at the economy and say, hey, we're pretty good here. Things are back to normal. COVID-19 is under control. I'm going to have to hike the interest rates. And when that happens, all this value that we see in the home in the housing market where interest rates are super low and everybody's doing these refis and everybody's buying houses you know, because they can get money for cheap, that's all going to go away. And all this value that I'm talking about with Palm Creek funding, you're going to miss your window. So Give Zach a call, 720-212-4685 and see how he can save you some money. Also want to mention Guts Racing. The coolest thing I learned about Guts Racing is that you could customize your own seat cover. I would have killed to be able to do that when I was racing. They have, uh, they obviously Guts seats are one of the things they're known for. They're used by more factory teams than any other brand. And you can get your graphics made there as well. So don't forget about that too. Guts Racing truly does it all when it comes to graphics and seat covers. Thank you to Andy Gregg for coming on board the Industry Seating Podcast. And go to gutsracing.com to learn more. They have a bunch of merchandise on there as well. If you want to get dialed in your look for off the track, check out Guts Racing. Also want to mention Fast Foundry. And I've been talking with Robert and reading through some of the real life, real world applications for how Fast Foundry can help you. And for me, it's a learning process because this is really the future. If you really think about where industry is going and how business is going to be done, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, it's going to be right up Fast Foundry's alley. So if you want to take your startup, your existing business and get more efficient and improve everything about it, contact Fast Foundry. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about one of the the applications that they have. They work with organizations like the Women's Tennis Association. They also work with Mountain Dew, if you were paying attention to the 2020 NBA all-star game. So any of the things that you're going to need uh, software applications for, you know, touchscreen uh, entry, anything like that. Fast Foundry does all that stuff. They have so many different ways that they can help you. They work 
uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, custom hardware, because all these events are totally different and the needs of each event is totally different. And with uh, Monster Energy Supercross, especially in the COVID era, having to see all the, the protocol that Feld has to go through and Western Power Sports by default, it's crazy. And I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. I think you're just going to see more and more complexities in this area and all the, I mean, we have to take, uh, you know, questionnaires via QR code before we're even allowed to enter the pits every single week. We have to take a survey using a QR code on our phone and then submit it before we're even allowed inside. It's just, it's craziness that, but again, as much as I hate it, I hate all this, everything to do with COVID on every level the people dying, but also all these stupid regulations and guidelines drive me absolutely insane. But if that's the way it's going to be, and there's nothing we can do to stop it or change it, then we might as well be as prepared for it as possible. And I think that's where fast foundry comes in on a lot of this stuff. So reach out to Robert. You can go to fastfoundry.com, tell them that you heard about it on the industry seating podcast and see what they can do to help you today. And again, you don't have to be Mountain Dew or Intel. You can be, you know, Bob's hardware store and and then they probably have a way for you to manage your inventory better and just become more efficient. You're going to always know if you have, you know, that hammer in stock where a lot of people just have it written down on a piece of paper. And listen, I go into dealerships all over the country and I go into the most technologically advanced ones. And I go to ones that have been there for a hundred years and they're literally writing down inventory on paper. Uh, so there's always a way to be better, and I think Fast Foundry can help you get there. Now, let's get back into these power rankings. At number four, we have Justin Barsha. And I almost put him at three coming off that podium, but you know, if you look at the points, I still feel like Eli Tomac just has a tiny edge over him. And yes, you could point to the fact that Justin Barsha DNF'd that indie round. And that's really the difference in points, but Hey, that's part of it. You know, Justin Barsha tried to force the issue around Vince Freezy and he paid the price for it. So I have Barsha at four and we'll see. Uh, that's a, it's a very close four. You could argue for three. And again, I was close to putting him at three just because of what I saw last night in Orlando, but I have him at four for now. I will tell you though, I love the way that Justin Barsha season's going. If you watched his his season on the Yamaha last year, it was just so up and down. He wasn't able to find consistency. It just seemed like the bike was very tricky for him. Like he just couldn't ride on every condition to the same level. You know, one weekend he would be world-class and ready to win. And then the next weekend he would be battling just to stay inside the top 10. So I think that this gas gas is working a little bit better for him on that level. He just seems to be the same guy week in and week out and good for Barsha. I just think that this is well-deserved. He's a really hardworking guy and I think he's ridden pretty smartly this year. So I don't really have anything negative to say for Barsha. Great year, great, uh, great season, great transition to the Red Bull gas gas team. Number three, I have Tomac and I'm a little bummed on Tomac. Not going to lie. Uh, he's 31 points off the lead. We're halfway through the series ish and I don't, like what I'm seeing from Tomac. I don't think that I've ever watched a race and felt that Tomac was tired. And now that's two races in a row where I've watched him out there and said, he looks, he looks tired to me. He doesn't look like he has arm pump. He doesn't look like he can't ride his bike in that arm pump fashion. He just looks like he's lost his intensity and can't hold it. 
that's tired. So I don't know. I don't know if the having the baby changed something. I don't know if finally getting that championship last year changed something. But he doesn't look like he's the same guy right now. He doesn't have the same speed edge he had. He definitely doesn't have the same fitness edge that he's had over his competition. So we'll see. I don't have answers, and I don't know that Eli Tomac has any answers either. Really strange season from Tomac so far. Nothing we've seen from him, maybe ever. Not not this type of season where he's been pretty consistent, but not the fastest guy, not the most fit guy, which a lot of times he's both of those. So again, I do not have anything to share with you information-wise. I'm, I'm more scratching my head and asking questions than I am trying to give insight. And I fancy myself as someone who's insightful on a lot of these guys because it's all I've ever done my entire life. But in this case with Tomac, I just, I don't have anything really to offer. So we'll just keep watching and see if that changes. At number two, Ken Roxon. Kind of an off night for Kenny. Bad start. He, he said he blew the start. And uh, that obviously, you know, just set him back and he couldn't get it done from back there. But he still rode well. He was able to get around Tomac, which is obviously one of the championship problems, you know, I don't say problem, but it's one of the, the riders he's going to have to contend with to get it done. Now you could say that's not fair. You should have Kenny number one. He's still the points leader. How could you do that to him? I'm just going off of three race wins in a row for Cooper Webb. So that only leaves one spot. You know, who's going to be number one. It's not an indictment on Roxon. No big deal. But when you have a guy that's now six points down in Cooper Webb, and he's won three races in the in a row. How can you still have someone ahead of that? Like that doesn't seem fair. If we're if we're going on a week to week power ranking, it seems like you'd have to move Roxon into the number two spot. And that's what I did. I, I still like the way this is shaping up for Roxon. I do not have him as your 2021 champ. I think that's going to be to the number one spot in the power ranking. But Roxon's still great. I mean, for him to fight back from adversity and to go get. Eli Tomac and make that pass solid. I don't think he would have done that last year. I don't know when the last time you could have said he would have done that. So he's still the best Ken Roxon that we've seen in some time. Just don't know that he's going to have enough to beat Cooper Webb down the stretch. And that leads me into Cooper Webb and holy crap, the guy is firing on all cylinders right now. As I mentioned, three race wins in a row. He's cut the lead down to six. I don't know that he'll win Daytona. I think you'll see Roxon and Tomac show their prowess at Daytona, but that's okay. I still think that Webb is the man to beat in this championship, even down six points. And he'll probably be down more than that leaving Daytona. That's my prediction. I think you'll see Tomac and Roxon bounce back for Daytona, but over the next you know eight rounds or whatever past that, I think Webb gets this done down the stretch. I think the tracks that we're going to go to play into his favor, a track like Atlanta uh, with that layout, and I think it's going to be that orange clay that Webb grew up on. Then you go to Dallas, and we've seen how great that Webb has been at Dallas in the past. And then Salt Lake, Webb was good there too at the final two rounds. And by then, I think Tomac's going to be out of it, and then we'll see Kenny kind of struggle at at Salt Lake. Kenny did have a few good rounds at Salt Lake. I, I get it. But more often than not, at Salt Lake, he was really struggling. So I just like uh, I like Cooper Webb in the number one spot, and it's going to take a lot to get me out of that. You know, if Roxon comes out in Wednesday tone and expends, extends his points lead, I will probably put Kenny back at the front. But for now, I feel very comfortable with Cooper Webb being 
that number one spot in the power rankings. So that's it for this week. We'll see. Again, six-point lead. Tomac down 31 now, and that is that's really, really bad news for Eli Tomac because not only do you have 31 points to make up on a rejuvenated Ken Roxon, but you also have 25 points now to chase down on Cooper Webb, which to me is even a bigger problem and, and more worrisome. Now, before we wrap this thing up, I need to give away this set of Pirelli tires and perusing through these questions, I picked a winner here. It's Corey Bartek. Hopefully that's how I pronounce it. But he asked a question about factory teams versus privateers. And it's something I haven't really thought about. It's definitely true though, is how the sport has changed over the years. You know, if you go back to the mid nineties, it was only the, the factory teams that had semis and all the privateers were in box vans or some sort of trailer setup or motorhomes or whatever. And over the years, the last 20, let's say 20 years, even all the privateer teams have semis now. The reason for that is that sponsors like fly racing or Western power sports or whoever you want to insert in there, they love the fact that there's that billboard space on the side of the truck to advertise. And that is the number one reason that you've seen that change is that sponsors basically say, Hey, we need more advertising space. We need more presence in the pits. We need all these things. We need that huge awning and canopy and set up in the pits for presentation. That's it. There is no other upside to it. Of course you want more space and other stuff for the teams, but it, all that comes with a huge expense jump. And Corey's question more specifically is the sport in a better place because of that? Or is that kind of a, a false signal just because the semis look great and there's really much less funding than those semis would indicate, right? Is, is the look much better than what the actual fabric of the money inside the sport? And, and he's spot on on that because I can't tell you enough or how many times I've been on teams where if they would have just said, screw it, we're not buying a semi, we're just going to race out of a lesser setup and apply that money towards mechanics and parts and resources, you know, rider salaries, I guess would be nice too, but just making the team better is, is really the more important aspect of that. I would have loved that. Like I would have killed for that because having a better race bike or having more practice bikes or more practice parts or freshening up my race bike more often or whatever, like a million different things. I mean, I've stayed some of the crappiest hotels ever because that's what the budget allowed for. And for me, the semi, who cares? Like, let's have a, a better race team and a, a more successful result on race day because we are applying resources to that versus how we look. And that happens all the time. And you go into some of these privateer teams that have a semi and you'd think, oh man, they are, they are killing it. Like, look how professional this all looks. And on the inside, it is a complete train wreck. Guys are buying their own bikes and riding you know, uh, just terrible equipment. They have zero dollars, you know, and, and time and effort put into the bikes because all their money's getting soaked up by this semi and awning and a wrap and a truck driver and all these things they have to pay for, for the semi. And for the rider, that's, that's really difficult. The only thing I would say is, is sometimes you kind of have to, if the sponsors are demanding it and basically saying, Hey, if you don't have a better presence, then we're not going to pay you X, right? Your number is going to be significantly lower if you're in a box van or, you know, a hauler or something like that, because 
what happens to you in that scenario as a team is you just get parked in the back 40. You don't get the same fan engagement. You don't get in the same area of the pits. You don't get all of that attention that you would if you had a semi. So it is a, a bit of a double-edged sword there. It's not always the team's fault, but it is so incredibly frustrating to not have parts to be able to fix your practice bike because you know there's money being spent on something that's not absolutely necessary, right? It's more for looks and it's more for show than it is for go. And I, I've been there. I had a, you know, the back in the days of the Butler Brothers MX team, it, they you know changed the name to BTO Sports, and then of course now it's Rocky Mountain KTM. But I remember in 2012, my 450, the Suzuki transmissions that year were kind of crap. They would wear out and then third gear would jump out of gear. They would go into a false neutral, uh, once they had some time on them and it was scary. You know, if you were under a load and of course, outdoor racing, you're under a load a lot of times in third gear, it would jump out of gear at any given time. And that was scary. I, I crashed really hard at Chad Reed's track over a huge double. And I'm very lucky. I didn't get extremely injured. I, it was one of the scariest crashes I've ever had. And I did pull a bunch of muscles, but as far as serious injury, I, I avoided it because I landed on the downside with my body and my bike just went into the face and did like 17, you know, front flips, but it was a hundred percent because the team couldn't afford to fix my transmission at the time. And that's, that's a difficult challenge to face and it's scary and, and not really fun because as a rider, you have to practice. You can't just, Oh, I'll just sit out during the week and then I'll show up on race day. You're going to get smoked. It's already hard enough practicing all the time against these guys. So if you don't even have the parts to practice during the week, you have no chance. And I just see that. I know it goes on even to this day and, uh, not very much fun. So good question, Corey, uh, reach out to me with your email. Or actually I can reach back out to you and get your information for your set of Pirelli tires. Thank you to Pirelli for being a part of this giveaway. Uh, as I've mentioned, I've used Pirelli tires for a very long time. I, of course I used other brands too, but my relationship started with Pirelli in 1998 and speaking of Pirelli tires, Garrett Marchbanks got on the podium in the 250 West Coast Series using Pirelli tires. So congratulations to them. I know Josh Whitmire and the team over there are very, very excited about how successful the 2021 season has been for Pirelli tires. And we haven't even started the MXGP Series yet. And we all know that those guys dominate over there. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Congratulations to Corey. And we will talk to you in two weeks right after Daytona. See you.